You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Man, thank you, Olivia, for that. What a beautiful uh, message and song. And... uh, not a good sign when I'm already getting choked up at the beginning here. Um, I'm thankful for God's faithfulness. And in a time when everything is up in the air, we have someone to rely on that never changes. And I'm so thank- thankful for that truth today. And, uh, and I, I wanted to sing Great is Thy Faithfulness as a congregation too. I think that would have been fitting, but I, uh, I decided to hold that off for another day. But I, I'm just grateful for that. And for that truth. And uh, let's turn to Philippians 4. We're going to jump right in today. Philippians chapter 4. And if as you turn, I will go ahead and have those in here stand. If you want to stand at home, I think it's good practice to be in the routine that we normally follow. Philippians chapter 4. We'll begin reading in verse 4. And this is a common passage. I, I don't know. There may be in the Old Testament, maybe Psalm 23 uh, would be the most common. Uh, Philippians 4 is right up there in the New Testament in term, you know, John 3:16, Philippians 4 in terms of passages of scripture that really provide comfort and help. And I hope that this will be a help to you today uh, as in a time that everything is up in the air and unsettled. Philippians 4 has some things to teach us. Philippians 4, we'll begin reading in verse 4 and go down through verse 9. It says in Philippians 4:4, 4, 4, "Rejoice in the Lord always." And again, I say, Rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. What a great passage of Scripture, and there's a lot to learn, a lot to glean. And frankly, in the time we have together, we'll just skim the surface. There's so much more to mine, the depths that we could go to. But I think there are some truths here that could be a help to us in a time like this. And I hope that, I'm praying that God will use this today to speak to hearts. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. I appreciate your respect for God's Word this morning. We live in an anxious world. And I don't just mean as a result of the coronavirus. America has been a nation gripped with worry for decades. Anxiety has become a very real problem in people's lives. For many people, there's this underlying dread. No one else can feel it. Maybe nobody else can see it. But it's like there's a storm that's kind of always brewing on the inside. And the only moments of relief are when a person is temporarily distracted by some outside interruption that makes them forget for a moment. 
But whatever peace comes it, it, or it, in that moment is gone just as quickly as it arrives. As soon as the distraction is gone, the unrest is back. The storm is brewing still there. One author explained anxiety, or I'm going to use the words anxiety and worry. I'm going to use those interchangeably today. But one author explained it like this. He said, it's not the sight of the grizzly bear, but the suspicion of one or two or ten of them. Behind every tree, beyond every turn, inevitable. It's just a matter of time until that grizzly leaps out of the shadows and bears its fangs and gobbles you up along with your family and your friends, your bank account, your pets, and your country. And I, I know that sounds a little silly, but it really does in many ways describe many people in our country. They're not so afraid of the bear as they are the thought of the bear. And when you think about the constant dread that people face, no wonder people don't sleep well anymore. No wonder they don't laugh much anymore. It's no surprise that people don't enjoy the simple things of life like they used to. And honestly, who can blame them? Have you seen the news these days? I mean, even before coronavirus, the only headlines that you saw were negative headlines. Lies and doom and deception, impeachment and unrest and war and crime rates and falling markets and financial ruin. It's no wonder that the inner storm continues to rage in so many people. We don't live in an environment that would help you to escape the storm even if you wanted to. One interesting thought about anxiety or worry is it's often rooted in, and this is a key phrase today, it's often rooted in what if. It's often anxiety or, or worry is often rooted in the phrase what if. You know, the grizzly might be behind the tree. Not that you've seen one, but what if there is one? And now if you actually see a grizzly bear, that is a different story. That's more than worry. That's that's fear, and the response to fear is uh, fight or flight. You either face what is, co is coming, what you're afraid of, or you run away from it. Either way, fear leads you to some tangible action or reaction. But anxiety or worry simply leaves you paralyzed because a what if hasn't actually happened. It hasn't materialized, so you can't even have a response except to continue to be anxious. That's literally the only response you can have to anxiety is to continue in the process, focusing all of your thoughts and energy on something that's completely outside of your ability to control. And we can be, become so consumed with what ifs that we turn into Chicken Little and the sky is falling or we turn into Eeyore and, and we think it's only raining on us or it's a combination that the sky could fall at any moment and if it does, it will certainly fall only directly on me. And I've read that approximately 40 million Americans right in our country, and this is from a couple of years ago, they had an anxiety disorder before all of this happened. A few months ago, I preached a couple of messages on Wednesday night on having a merry heart, and I talked about how the latest statistics say that 75 to 90 percent of all doctor visits in our country are due to stress-related illnesses. And it's not just the adults feeling the pressure. I mean, all the way down, college students, high school students. I read one psychologist, uh, Robert Leahy, he said the average child today 
exhibits the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the 1950s. It's eye-opening. And they said technology would change us. And they said that change would come rapidly and it would be better. And advancement would be simplify our lives and everything would get better. But it obviously has not made things better. The more complicated things have become, it seems like the more anxiety we have. The continuous change has seemingly trained us to live as if anything could happen at any moment. Everything is moving, so nothing is settled. Anything is possible, but nothing is sure. The worst could be coming, and that's in our thoughts. We dread the next alert on our phone. We're living lives of what if. What if? What if this happens? What if that happens? And folks, if we're not careful, we will fall into the same trap as millions of Americans, uh, and that what-if game will paralyze us, even as God's people. And you say, well, as God's people, we shouldn't have a problem with peace. That's a mark of God's people. And yes, it should be. But obviously, God's people have struggled with anxiety for years because we find Paul writing about it here in Philippians 4. This is not just a generational, at least a trend in our generation. Anxiety or worry has been something Paul felt like he needed to deal with years and years ago. It's a human problem, and it has been for a long time. The church at Philippi was a church that was dealing with worry. They were dealing with anxiety. Look at verse 6. He says, Paul says, be careful for nothing. And that word careful, it means exactly what it sounds like to be full of cares. Your, your life is full of cares and, and worries. And it means to have an anxious concern based on apprehension about possible danger or misfortune. Uh, you are anxious and you're concerned and your life is full of care. Warren Wearsby says about this that it means to be pulled in different directions. That's what the word means. Our, our hopes pull us in one direction. Our fears pull us in the opposite direction. We're being pulled apart. And the old English root from which we get our word worry actually means to strangle. Worry is wrong thinking, which is in the mind, and wrong feelings, which is in the heart, about circumstances and people and things. And when I hear the phrase wrong thinking, and I hear the phrase wrong feelings, it it sounds a lot like somebody is focused on what if. They have the wrong thought process, and they're thinking what if, even though it hasn't happened yet. What if I can't pay my bills on time? What if I don't pass my test? What if I I make a wrong decision as I'm raising my children? What if my car breaks down? What if I can't get all of my work done? And what if I get sick and I can't work? And life is like running through a what-if rainstorm. And what-ifs are falling all around us. And you're trying to dodge the rain jobs. And it's impossible to run through the rain and not get wet. What-if is everywhere. You can't avoid it. It seems like the Philippians were dealing with the same struggle many of us do. I'm sure their what-ifs probably look different. It's a different culture. It's a different time. They had different lifestyles and different needs. But the truth is they had to make the same choices about worry that you and I do. They could spend their lives paralyzed by what if, or they could follow Paul's prescription to overcome it. So where does Paul tell them to start? I mean, if if this is a, a battle, if it's a mind game or a mind battle, and we're trying to battle the what ifs, we're trying to battle the anxiety... Where do we start? Well, I, true, I believe that the thought process for this section of Scripture starts back up in verse 4. 
This is Paul's admonition to overcome anxiety. And he starts in verse 4 when he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. To overcome the what ifs, it starts with praise. Rejoice means to be glad. It means to have joy. And here's an absolutely essential piece of the puzzle when it comes to overcoming worry. Is that you cannot worry and worship at the same time. You can't worry and worship at the same time. Did you know that it's impossible to think two thoughts at once at the same time? Sometimes I I think I have a feeling that my wife has evolved into a higher life form based on her multitasking skills. It seems to me like she can do a dozen things all at the same time. She can make supper and she can discipline the children and she can uh, pay bills and wash dishes and clean the house and, and catch me doing something I'm not supposed to all at the same time. Like she has eyes, not just in the back of, their, of her head, everywhere. But me, you know, I'll, get a, I'll get a shopping list from my wife and I'll go to the store, um, six feet away from everybody, obviously. I'll go to the store and I'll have one thing on my list. And I'm telling you, without fail, I end up calling her at least two times every time to make sure I remember, to make sure I get the right thing. And yet, while she's doing everything else that I just listed, she's talking me through where to find it at Walmart. I mean, that's a big difference between men and women, at least so they say. I happen to believe that, yes, women are good at multitasking, but I just think men are better at focusing on one task until it's done. So, well, maybe that may not be true either. I'm not sure. Men, if you agree with that, say amen in your living rooms. Okay. My point is this. Folks, if you're rejoicing in the Lord, you can't be worried about the what-ifs. If you are worshiping, you can't worry. The best way to combat anxiety and worry is to praise God for who He is and for what He has done in your life. When's the last time you simply stopped and without asking God for anything, you just spent time praising Him? I made a similar point a couple weeks ago, but right now it is not the time to focus inward. We need to be reminded to praise. If all we do is think about our problems and we focus on ourselves and the pressures and the dangers and the uncertainties, and the what-ifs, we will find ourselves in a downward spiral of self-induced anxiety. We need to look away from our problems and to look to something else because you can't think about two things at the same time. And Anxiety is an emotion, and it's not wrong in and of itself, but it becomes wrong when we submit to it, folks. It becomes wrong when we let it become our master because anything that we yield to that's outside of God makes a terrible master including our emotions. There's spiritual health in the exercise of focusing our minds and our hearts at a time when we're discouraged or when we're afraid or when we're fearful, when we're anxious. When we turn our attention to God, we can't also be focusing on the worries. Luke 21, 34 talks about our hearts being over, overcharged or weighed down as the result of anxiety and care. Friends, the next time that your heart is weighed down, don't drown it with alcohol. Don't binge on Netflix and think that'll solve your problems. Don't go to the refrigerator, although right now, that seems to be the place that you're all drawn to, being stuck inside. But don't go to the refrigerator and think that will solve your problems. No, stop and praise God for who He is and for what He has done in your life. I'm just going to be transparent you know, recently I was having a tough time sleeping and I'm, 
I've got anxiety and I'm, I'm thinking and worried about things. And in my own living room, I'm sitting there uh, at night just in my recliner thinking about all the things that are coming and all that I have to do and the needs that people have and the, the needs that my own family has. And in the middle of it, I realized that I was wallowing and I was going down the downward spiral of anxiety. And so I stopped everything I was thinking about. And in my recliner in my living room, if you could have seen me in the dark, I was sitting in my recliner and I had my hands up. And I was just looking to heaven. And I was just telling God, thank you for all that you've done for me. Thank you for salvation. And thank you for my family. And thank you for my home. And thank you for Eastside Baptist Church and for my friends and for the way that you provide. And, and I, it was all I could do in the moment. And sometimes we need to stop the wallowing and worship. We need to stop the worrying and just worship and point our attention and our focus back to God because He deserves it whether or not we give it to Him. But when we give it to Him, it has an effect on us. Rejoice, Paul says. Rejoice always. How does it work? You can't worry and worship at the same time. The next time you find yourself with anxiety over what tomorrow holds, use the time to start listing all the things about God that you're thankful for. Paul even slips the word in verse 6 when he says, Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, he says, list the things that you're thankful for. List the things God has blessed you with that you want Him to know you don't take for granted. List all the people that God has brought into your life that have helped you to become the person that you are. Maybe you don't, maybe don't even talk about your blessings. Maybe you just stop and praise God for who He is, that He's a holy God and that He's a pure God, that He's righteous and that He's powerful and that He's all-knowing and yet all-loving and He's just and yet He's also merciful. If you worship, you can't worry too. Because you can't think two thoughts at the same time. So I think the first thought here to overcome the what-ifs is praise. And the second is very similar in that it takes the focus off the problem and onto something bigger. To overcome the what-ifs, you continue, second, continue with prayer. By the way, I don't normally alliterate when I preach. It's just I don't want to try to force it. But today, I'm telling you, there's going to be a lot of words that start with P. And you're going to be pretty impressed with my mastery of the uh, English synonyms here. To overcome the what-ifs, you start with praise. But to overcome the what-ifs, you continue with prayer. Verse 6, be careful for nothing but in everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And you say, well, this is so obvious, Pastor. Why are you even talking about this? Of course I'm going to pray. And I have to admit, prayer does come more naturally than praise, especially when you have a need. I mean, it is more natural, and it's much more natural for us to say please than it is to say thank you. And if you've raised children, then at least in our home, uh, maybe our children are more selfish than others, but in our home, we have definitely seen that it's easier to teach them to say please because they want something than it is to say thank you after they get it. But just because that may be often true, it doesn't take away from the fact that part of the process, folks, is prayer. And it seems so apparent, but I think we'd be shocked at how many people have a serious need, but don't take the time to pray about it like they should. James 4 says, ye have not because ye ask not. Those believers had obvious needs, but they weren't praying as they should. And honestly, I believe we're much better at talking about prayer than we are at praying. 
But Paul makes it clear that the answer to prayer, worry is prayer. Prayer is how we communicate to the Lord. If you want to think of it this way, this is the language of God. When we speak to Him, we use prayer to speak to Him. We converse with Him that way. He uses the word supplication. And that carries the idea of an urgent pleading. It means an earnest sharing of our needs and problems. There's intensity implied there. Prayer is speaking. Supplication is the urgent communication. It's urgent intensity. And I wonder if we view prayer as an exercise more than we view it as urgent communication. It's it's the difference between calling your best friend to catch up after a few months. You would talk to them in a certain way and you would just leisurely speak with them. That's more like the idea of prayer. That's one phone call. The other phone call is when you pick up your phone and you dial 911. You're not leisurely calling if there's an emergency You're going to take the time to try to get somebody's attention. There's a combination of both here when we pray. There's prayer in that we speak to God in that language. And then there's supplication in that we're earnest about it. We're intense about it. And I wonder if if God looks at us and says, so many of your requests have not been answered, not because you didn't bring them to me, but because you brought them to me half-heartedly. No, prayer is discipline. It requires focus and concentration, and it's amazing how even when I'm praying, in the process of prayer, I have to fight the urge to think about the what-ifs. Don't just pray, folks. Pray with urgency. Expect God to answer. So this process begins with praise. To overcome the what-ifs, it starts with praise, and then we move along to prayer, and then we see a third one. To overcome the what-ifs, we need to practice persistence. Through two Ps into that one. Notice three phrases, though, that Paul uses. Verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. You know, I did some research, and again, I don't want to impress you too much with my mastery of the English language, but you might be impressed here. I look at the word always. You know what it means? At all times. Mind blown. <laughs> then he says another word in verse 6 Be careful for nothing. So you see how he's using some pretty big words. He said, rejoice in the Lord always, at all times. And then he says, be careful for nothing. There's nothing left out. You know what it means? None. Then verse 6 again, be careful for nothing but in everything. You know what everything means? All things. Everything. I mean, the mastery of the English language today, I mean, you can just kind of take notes and sit back. I mean, these are plain words, but they're strong words. And I don't know about you, but it seems to me that Paul is trying to tell them there is no exception in the process. Rejoice in the Lord always. Be careful for nothing, but in everything. We might be tempted to say, now, come on, Paul, I tried to win the battle against anxiety and and I followed these exhortations even right here. And I did it once last week and it did not work. So you're telling me you rejoiced at all times no matter what. And you didn't allow any matter to turn into anxiety. And you prayed earnestly about every single detail. I mean, we we can get that way where we dismiss something because we tried it for a day. Or we tried it for a couple days. But don't dismiss Paul's advice about overcoming anxiety unless you have been that persistent. And by persistent, I mean, listen, always rejoice. By persistent, I mean be careful for nothing. Don't let anything build up in your worry basket. And by, by persistent and consistent, I mean be careful for nothing but in everything. 
Don't let anything slip by through prayer and supplication. And you say, this is an impossible standard. I don't think this can be done. And it sounds like an impossible standard, except that Paul has proven this process in his own life. He held himself to this standard. And you say, well, how? Well, don't forget, he's writing to the church at Philippi. And I want to remind you about how this church at Philippi started just a week and a half ago. I preached out of Acts 16, the right response to trouble. Paul and Silas were in the jail at night. They were thrown into prison for preaching the gospel. And what city were they in? Philippi. What did he do in prison? Was he singing, nobody knows the trouble I've seen? No, he was singing glory to God. And we saw in that message how Paul and Silas, even in trouble, they, re- they trusted God's sovereignty and they remembered God's goodness and then they put others first when they went after the jailer to lead him to the Lord. Listen, you cannot say that Paul is holding the Philippines, the Philippines, the Philippians to too high. Can we cut that out? You you cannot say that Paul is holding the Philippians to too high of a standard because this is a standard he had lived out himself. He had proven this standard in his life. So we know that it's possible. And one more uh, nail in the coffin for Paul's sake here is if you think about this, you realize he's writing this letter from another prison not in, in Philippi now. Now he's in Rome and he's in prison for preaching the gospel. He's been arrested for serving God and he's not singing a sad song. Instead, he's writing, Rejoice in the Lord always, even in prison like me. He's saying, Be careful for nothing, even in prison like me. He's writing, In everything through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God, even in prison like I am. Now we might say, That's just too much to ask. This is a crazy standard. It's too high. But before you dismiss it, if Paul can utilize the process of persistent praise and prayer, even from prison, then we have to know it's possible for us. Because we have the same Holy Spirit that Paul had. Paul's not perfect. He's not sinless. He's not deity. He's a human like you and I. And he's in a situation that looks bleak and terrible. And he's saying, yes, but I, you can do this with God's help and you can be persistent in it. And I want to take a step back now and consider what Paul's really asking. We're going to start really, this really comes down to where we're going today. He's telling him, start with praise. Get your mind off the what if and onto God. He says, continue with prayer. Look away from the problems and and focus on God's power to help you. And he says, do it persistently, uh, always, in everything. And then look at verse 8. Then he says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. I would love to take some time to just go through that verse and talk about each of those words, but I just want you to get the idea of what Paul's trying to get them to do. Through praise, he's saying, look to God. Through prayer, he's saying, look to God. And then he's saying, and what you're thinking about, I want you just to stop and think about things that are about God, things that are true about God. He's exhorting the Philippians, and he's exhorting us to stop focusing on the things we can't control the what ifs, and he's asking them, us and them to focus on what is true. God's attributes, God's blessings, God's ability to answer the questions 
Things that are true and honest and just and lovely and pure and have a good report and virtuous and full of praise. He's saying, stop looking at all the things that are the what ifs, the things that are around the corner, the things that are the threats. Stop looking at those things and look somewhere that you can trust. And I'm going to say it this way, and I want you to remember this phrase. Paul is telling us, stop worrying about the what if and focus on the what is. Stop worrying about the what if and focus on what is. See, the what if is a possibility outside of our control and it may not even happen, but the what is is something true about God that is already proven and sure. Right now we're thinking, will I catch the coronavirus? That's a what if. What we need to be focusing on is, is God the great physician? Because that's the what is. Will I lose my job? It's a what if. Will I be able to stock my refrigerator? It's a what if. Yes, maybe just those are what ifs and they're big and they're on the forefront of our mind. But we need to stop asking questions like that and go to, does God promise to take care of my basic needs of life? And read Matthew 6 and realize that's a major what is. Will I be able to pay my bills? It's a what if. Well, can God supply my finances and my needs? I mean, there's a major what if right here in verse 19. But my God shall supply all your rich need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Stop focusing on the what if. There are what is is out there that will help us to see things clearly. We must stop investing our mental energy into things that are outside of our control. Don't focus on the what if. Focus on what is. What is? Well, God is faithful and he doesn't drop the ball when it comes to meeting our needs. What is? God loves me, and he has my best interest in mind. What is? God loves my family more than I do, and he's perfectly capable of taking care of them. What is? Well, God has told us to take no thought for our basic needs, because he will provide them if we seek him first. And by the way, that phrase over in Matthew 6, take no thought, is the same word. It's anxiety, it's worry. What is? Well, God is. He is sovereign. He is the I am. And he rules over his creation. He is separate from and over it. And yet he's still personally interested in our lives. What is? We have a father that can do all things. And he's all powerful. And he's all knowing. And he's all loving. What is? God is merciful. Even to sinners like us. Folks, we can get so consumed in the what ifs. We live in a world full of what-ifs, and if we focus on them, we will be so anxious and worried that we can't think about anything except terrible possibilities. But if we will focus on what is true about God and rejoice in what He's like and rejoice in what He's done, we will find ourselves being free from the anxiety and worry that comes when things are unsettled and when we don't see answers and when things just continue to get worse because we have confidence in a God who is. So when we pray and praise and we do it persistently, what's the result? What do we have to look forward to? Well, God promises two more things in this chapter as a result. He promises peace and his presence. So, I mean, that's a lot of peace, I know, but it works. You've got praise and you've got prayer and you've got persistence. And as a result, we're promised peace and we're promised 
his presence. Look at verse 7. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. This is not the world's version of peace. You know, there's always talk in the Middle East of peace and, and they have all these, you know, these dialogues and, and they try to come to an agreement every few years. That kind of peace can be disrupted at any moment. We have seen the peace in our world disrupted recently in the recent weeks. No, this is a peace that goes beyond peace we see on earth. This is the peace of a supernatural nature. This is a state of freedom from anxiety and inner turmoil. That's the definition. And it starts when we have, folks, when we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And I do have to say that like I have just about every week, and that is you will never have the peace you desire until you get things settled at the cross. Romans 5.1 says that we're justified by faith. We have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can start with that peace today. If you've never received Christ as your Savior and you don't know that you're saved, you can have peace with God because Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins to bring peace into your life. You can settle things with God through the work of Jesus Christ. It's available to you today. But not only that, peace and salvation can turn into peace in our Christian lives. We can have peace with God, not just at the cross, but on a daily basis. How? Well, it goes, God promises peace to his children. Isaiah 26, 3, he said, Thou wilt keep an imperfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Perfect peace. Peace that passeth understanding. Supernatural, divine peace that only God can provide. How? Well, he says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Our minds are fixed on him. It's the same concept Paul's been dealing with right here is that we focus on what is, and that is God. We focus on what is true and what he's capable of and what he's like. And through him and through Jesus Christ, we can have peace not just at the cross, but on a daily basis. Perfect, supernatural, divine peace. Focus on what is, and those what ifs will fade away. But look at verse 9. The last result of the praise and prayer and persistence is God's presence. It says, These, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. I think it's interesting. He says, those things which ye have learned and received and heard and seen in me do. Now remember, I already referred back to the church at Philippi getting started after Paul and Silas in their, their, their time in the jail and the earthquake and being released and, and seeing those people saved, you know, that's when the church really started. They had watched Paul live out this process. They had seen it in his life. They had seen him focus and rejoice instead of focusing on his circumstances. They had heard him pray or heard about his prayer in the prison. They had seen his focus go from the cares and the worries all around him and focus on the God who is. And now he's saying, if you'll just follow the process that you've seen in me, Praise and prayer and persistence. You will have peace and God's presence. The God of peace, he says, shall be with you. I'm thankful for God's blessings and gifts. But folks, the greatest promise we have in all this is God himself. Hebrews 13, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. There are countless promises as you go through God's word of him telling his children, if you will just obey, I will be with you. 
My presence will be with you. And when you have the presence of God, you have a promise like Psalm 1611. It says, in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. The life that is available to us as we live in the presence of God is beyond anything we could ever understand. It, it passes understanding. It is beyond what you and I could conjure on our own. And when that's what we're missing when we're full of cares. That's what we're missing when we focus on the what-ifs. That's what we're missing when we live a life of anxiety. You miss God's peace and you forfeit the fullness of His presence in your life. Friend, no one is exempt from the emotion of anxiety and worry. We're all human. But we also all have a choice whether to focus on the what-ifs or the what-is. We all have grizzly bears. But more importantly, we also all have access to the Creator. See, to Him, even a grizzly bear is just a small challenge. And I don't know what tomorrow holds. That's a pretty big what-if, isn't it? I don't know what tomorrow holds, and I don't know where we'll be tomorrow. It seems like things change every day drastically. It's a big what-if. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I do know who holds tomorrow. And the truth is, that is the biggest truth we have. That's the biggest what is. Is that we know who's in charge. We know what is. We know who is. And maybe it's time for us to stop taking our cues from an anxious world. And rest in what is. And resist what if. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm going to ask you, those in here, to stand for the invitation. At home, you, you do however you feel led today. But I do believe this is the kind of truth that every one of us need to be confronted with in our own hearts. Because there's a lot of unsettled anxiety. And we are going, going to either focus on the what if or the what is. Have you been focusing on what is? Or have you gotten your mind off onto what if? It's time to praise and pray and be so persistent in it that you say, I will not make an exception. And as we do, we enjoy, experience the results of peace that passes all understanding. And the God of peace, the presence of God, shall be with you, he says. What are you forfeiting because you're focused on the what ifs? I'm going to pray in the instrument. The piano will play, and as it does, let's take time to respond today. Father, work as you will through the Word. We pray that you'd speak to our hearts through your Word and help us to see where the conviction is leading us. Father, help us to focus on what is. Help us to praise and pray and be persistent and then enjoy the peace and your presence as a result. Work in every home, in every heart, all around Sioux Falls and the areas around here, right here in this building, we're praying for you to work in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.